Welcome to Behind the Page, the Eli Marks podcast, with your hosts, John Gaspard and me, Jim Cunningham. Hey there, Jim. John O. Hello. How are you, buddy? I'm I'm well. Uh, season three, episode five. Boy, season three is just cruising right along, isn't it? It is. It is. I uh, what we've done so far. I'm very happy with. We have so much fun stuff coming up. I want to thank everybody who did the survey. We are kind of getting season four locked down as to what it's going to be, and I think everyone's going to be very happy with that. But at the same time, it won't kill me. So those are the two things we're looking for: making everybody happy and not killing John. I'm all uh, for that. I'm all for both of those things. But you always have been. You've never Mostly wanted not killing John. I'm I'm willing to make anybody happy if it doesn't really cost me anything. Uh but you I'd like to keep alive because this has been so much fun. Yeah, not dying. Uh well, that's kind of the key to the benefits program. It really is. That's that's a whole at some point we got to talk about the in-laws because I know we did a little bit I, I it's, it's uh at, at some point, we should do either a podcast about stuff that we like that we don't care if anybody else likes, or we should, in some way, shape, or form, talk about things that we really like in the podcast. Well, Jim, in a, you're, in a you're giving, your, way. giving a very good hint about season four, but we'll get back to that. One of the other points that was brought up in the survey, and again, thank you so much for filling out those surveys, was a request for more interviews from magicians, performers from outside of the U.S. Well, we've done a little of that. Let's see. Um, Morgan and West, we're yes. they're from England. so They are. We, we chatted with them. We've talked to some Canucks, too, some Canadians. We Maybe. have. Julie Ng was, uh, was and is from Canada. Uh, Krista Hendricks, also known as uh, Lucy, Lucy Darling. Darling. Uh, is originally from there. And um, today we can add one more international guest to our roster, and that is uh, Alexandra Duvivier. Oof, boy, oh boy. What a great time I had chatting with her. Yeah, she is very funny. And uh, her father founded just about 35 years ago Le Double Fond, Le Double Fond Theater, which translates as maybe the false bottom or the double floor. I'm not really quite sure. I was thinking that a, a smarter interviewer might have actually asked her that when we had her on Zoom, but it didn't occur to me to do that. But anyway. Double the, lift, right? Well, I don't think that her father would have called his magic theater the double lift, because why would you give that away? Yeah. But I asked my wife, Amy, about it because she knows more about French than I do. And she said maybe it has to do with double floors because there's magic on the main floor and then there's a theater in the basement. Ah, I'll buy that. She's just terrific, though. I mean, I really I, I had virtually no knowledge of her. You you obviously did because you've been to their theater a couple of times. I not so much. I was in Paris for a cup of coffee once. And uh, silly me, it's it's a very if you're listening to this. And someone says, let's go to Paris. Say yes, because it's a really nice town. I had no idea. Yeah, I know. And I believe I recommended to you that you should go while you were there. And you well, I was insisted there on going to the Eiffel Tower and, and other unnecessary places. But anyway, she is a fantastic magician. She fooled Penn and Teller. Yes, uh, there will be a link in the show notes so you can watch her do that. Uh, she also fooled me, uh, which is not as impressive as fooling Penn and Teller. And the kind of the key reason she's talking with us, besides the fact that she's fun to talk to, uh, is that she and her co-workers, her team, created the very 
first college-level accredited magic degree. It's the very first one in the world. You can go and take classes for a year, and you walk out of there with a degree in magic. Isn't that something? I, I just think that's, I mean, I was so blown away by that concept. I think that should happen. I mean, they should franchise this or help set it up in other places, because how cool is that? Uh, a, a, an actual college degree in something you are absolutely fascinated in and you're required to, I mean, we're, we'll listen to how she describes it, but uh, pretty darn cool in my book. Yes. And, and as uh, you've, uh, as you've said, if you're in Paris, definitely check out Le Double Fund. Uh, I've been there a couple of times. Uh, it's a lovely cafe bar. And then down in the basement, very interesting basement is a, a close-up magic show. In fact, it was Alexandre's father, Dominique, when he first visited that room 35 years ago that he realized he found the absolute perfect setting for magic shows. But when my dad saw that, uh, that room 35 years ago, he just yeah. fell in love with the situation because mm -hmm. it was uh, fitting his purpose. He had the dream he had in mind of having a close-up room only for magic, only for close-up magic. Of course, you can do parlor, but mm -hmm. uh, not stage. No, no, it's Jim, you would love it. It's a, it's a very comfortable little room for everybody. Well, I was only in Paris for a very short time, and uh, had I been there longer, and why I didn't think Paris would be an absolutely incredible city and I should have planned more time there, I don't know. A lot of people say Paris is nice. I guess I wasn't <laughs> listening because it's incredible. Next time. Next time. They say if you like Minneapolis, you're going to love Paris. Exactly. Yes. Anyway, thank you for joining us today. The podcast, uh, every episode, the listeners get to hear a, a different Eli Marks story. And um, over this season, they're hearing short stories. And the one that they'll hear on your episode takes place entirely inside uh, his uncle's magic shop. And I thought you'd be a perfect guest for that because you are, in many ways, the French Eli Marks. In your case, your father ran a magic store and is a master world-class magician. Uh, in Eli's case, he is taken in by his uncle when his parents die. His uncle is a master magician, sort of a combination between Eugene Berger and Jay Marshall. And Eli grows up in the magic shop and becomes a magician himself. Okay. So you you are the French Eli Marks. Because right. you've, you've had the experience that he had. So we're going to jump around a lot here, but let's just talk first about the magic store. And did you work in it when you were younger? Yeah. In fact, first, first of all, because you, you talked alone and I was not uh, uh, able to talk and I am very happy to be with you and to be with on this post, on this podcast. I'm sorry, my English is woo-woo. Sometimes I'm <laughs> to pronounce. You will see that. And I'm very happy you asked me to participate because, you know, I love uh, being part of different experiences. So thank you. And to answer your question about the, the shop, yeah, I... In 1991, my dad bought the shop. So I am born in uh, 73. So I don't know how old I was, but I was not very old. And since the day he bought the shop, he asked me, I think I was 18. Yeah, 18. He told me, okay, would you like to go on with your studies or would you like to going the adventure because you know i started magic when i was 15 
It was in 88, so that's right, that's correct. I was 18. Uh, and uh, I was still doing my uh, studies at school, but buying the shop was a bit, you know, in life you have sometimes crossroads and you need to make a choice. And that's what life is about, making choices all the time. I'm going to eat a hamburger or tacos. This is not the wild choice, but you know, yeah. when it goes to either I go to the studies or to the magic shop, I didn't think long. My mom would have liked that I go on with my studies, but my studies were already beginning in the shop. So I, I just quit everything and go to the shop, begin selling tricks, learning my craft, doing tricks, that uh, learning tricks, first of all, learning tricks is a lot of, uh, it's difficult because you need to practice your memory, of course, your hand, but uh, you need to face an audience and uh, just not uh, blushing because I am so, I was so shy when I was 15, 16, 8, 17 and 18. I was very, it was very difficult for me to be, to stand in front of a person and trying to sell him something, you know, wow. So it was a good school. To do that. So yes, I sell in the shop. I was uh, making tricks. I was doing computer stuff. Yeah. And if we should say it, let me know if I'm wrong on this. It is the oldest magic shop in the world, isn't it? We, oui, we, oui. uh, historians have made some research and uh, we have been, yeah, 1808. 1808? 1808? Yes, exactly. Wow. So we are, we are the, the oldest shop in the world. 1808. Wow, that's great. That's fantastic. We we didn't make the research. The research has been made for us. And, uh, you know, we are pretty proud of that, too, because it's great that we have such a shop. And it's open to the general public as well as magicians? Completely. Yes, because, you know, uh, we are in a pretty nice area, very touristic area nearby the Pantheon, Pantheon, Pantheon where very famous people are buried. Um, like Victor Hugo, Victor Hugo. Yeah, I've heard of him. Yes, it, uh, <laughs> that's incredible. Let's let's talk about magic. Did you remember at all the first magic trick you saw as a kid? Alors, uh, you mean at the double fond or in the shop? In the shop, or from your father? Yeah, from your father. Um. One of the first tricks I learned that my dad showed me and said you should work it was the Zvengali, Zvengali deck. Okay. This trick is just so powerful on layman and it mm -hmm. is so, so clever. And you can also, which is really interesting, make a lot of effects with it. It's not just a one trick deck. So mm -hmm. it's very interesting to just learn that and uh, sell it also because it's a very versatile thing tool, let's say. So when you sell it to a customer, he's pretty happy because he sees that first it's very clever, cards are really well made, and you can do many things with only one deck. So that's cool. That's a very cool trick. Do you remember what what was the first trick that you felt like you had mastered that you, you went, okay, I got this one? The first trick I mastered, it was, I think it was the first trick my dad told me you should work on it. And that's the first trick I've mastered. If you can <laughs> say master to the Svengali deck, which is pretty easy. But, you know, mastering a trick, I think there is a degree of mastering. Mastering is just being able to do the technique and also a presentation. 
So that took me longer, the presentation, because like I told you, I was ill at ease with spectators. So practicing in front of this, you know, passing by audience was just a great school. Mm-hmm. So Sven Galidek was certainly my first trick, I think. I think it's a lot of people's first trick. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Ah, cool. I think when we talked to Dick Cavett, I think that was his first trick that he bought really? at the... At the at the Nebraska State Fair. Yeah. It's a very, very powerful trick. I have watched Bengali decks at our state fair for years as a kid. I'd watch and watch and watch them by the deck. And uh, it, uh, it it is a great trick. Yeah. Still available. Sure. You yeah. know, it's like, the, it's like the one more deck, you know, they are not fooled the hell of, uh, I don't know, I don't say the rest of the sentence, uh, Lai Jennings uh, uh, and so many others like that with a, only a one-way deck yeah. and it can be so powerful it depends how you use it yeah i think people forget that yeah sure. it, as you, you said you you learn to to not be shy in the shop by talking to customers yeah. um it in in the eli marks books eli has several significant encounters with customers do you, are there any memories you have of encounters you had with customers where you you just remember that was that was a moment I made a moment for them or they made a moment for me. What was very difficult to handle for me is that, you know, when you have customers and I don't know how it is in America, but in France, you have many customers who knows everything. They think they knows everything. Yeah. So it's very difficult to just uh, very difficult to uh, just surprise them. And even if you surprise them, they don't want to show it. Mm-hmm. So it's very tough. So that that taught me a lesson, I think, because, you know, I had to... And after I just transposed this to the, of course, the presentation and to the show, the entertainment part at the Double Fond and all the shows I do, is that it was a great school because when you have a customer, when you have a magician in front of you in the shop, he knows... Maybe he knows many things, or maybe he doesn't, but he wants to pretend he knows everything. And a woman is not going to fool me. No. But sometimes, yes, you know. <laughs> and what's the point? You know, we, we don't care. We're just here to share magic. We're, we're just, it's not a competition of a, <laughs> she's a woman, he's a man. He, he's going to fool me, not her. And so on. It's so, for some people, yeah. everything is a competition. Yeah. We, so I don't know if it's the same in America, but in France, you know, and especially because we are very Cartesian, Cartesian, Descartes was a philosopher and he wanted to understand everything, the process of every single thing. So, which is a good thing in science, but in magic, it's not a very good thing because you just, when you somebody shows you a trick in France, they want to, how, how did you do that? How is it working? You know, just forget it. We don't care about that. It's just entertaining. We're just here to have a, a pleasant moment. And that's, that's, my father has a great saying about that, you know. He says that the French audience is the worst and the most difficult to entertain. But in the end, after you are able to entertain it, this is the best audience because it teaches you a lesson. It teaches you a lesson and it uh, uh, pushes you uh, further. Yeah, it puts you in front of the, the hardest audience and you learn the most from that. What's well, the sound? Alors, uh, this, uh, on the other contrary, the Americans, you just you do anything 
well-made. I mean, it's not that they are not, uh, but they just want to have to be entertained. They want to mm. laugh. They want to be, to have it. So this is not the same way of thinking. So American audience is the best, you know, it's great performing for Americans. You, you know, you've, you've set a record here now. I think you're the first guest in over 50 episodes to mention Descartes. If there was a drinking game involved that every time the name Descartes came up on the episode, you guys go have and have a drink now because... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you're playing from home. Uh, take that shot now. Okay, let's do that. So uh, here you are. Uh, at, at, you're 18, 19 years old, working uh, in your father's magic store. At what point did you decide, uh, I think I'm going to make magic my career? And and what was your father's reaction to that? My dad never wanted me to be a magician because he was a magician. That's for a fact. You know, during my childhood, I kept asking him, please show me a trick. Mm, No. Please show me a trick. Mm -hmm. And uh, after a while, he gave me a book. He has written in the 70s, a small book like this, very small book. It was the year 2001. It was cold like that. We were in the 70s, but it was called the 2001 uh, practice of the card magic. Learning magic, card magic on a book for me was very difficult. And um, a few drawings made by my mom. So it was very difficult just... uh, translating French to French and trying to understand where do I put my pinky, my first finger, where, what's the dealing position? I don't understand this thing. So it's pretty difficult. But when he saw that I was working by myself, that I had worked by myself, then he helped me and we worked to, together. He showed me all the greatest artists, all the close-up stage, David Copperfield, of course. First one, Penn and Teller and uh, Vito Lupo, Jeff McBride, um, masters of the craft in stage, in close-up, like De Vernon, Jennings, Michael Skinner, Jimmy Gribbo. And because he has a, a wide, collec- wide I'm sorry, connect- collection of uh, archives, so Michael Weber and Chris Kenner, of course, and many, many, many others. And um, I started magic when I was 15 because my dad, he was booked in FISM. In wow. 1988, in Den Haag, in Holland, and uh, Richard Ross booked him because he saw his magic. He w- they were friend, very close friend, and um, Richard Ross loved his, my dad's magic. And uh, he booked him for FISM to do a show with a uh, sitting like this in tiered seats, 700 people. I saw that, and after doing, you know, cups and balls routine, my dad's cups and balls routine, he was producing the fourth cup. The climax of my dad's routine is that. And I saw, everybody stood up, clapping, and my mom was translating over there, and I was just blown away. Blown away to see that magic can um, make you feel such reactions they can make you laugh or cry. They didn't cry when they saw my dad, but they were just, just wild. And I say, wow, I, I want, I want to do that because before I saw my dad, uh, you know, I've always seen my dad working and in magic, but I didn't realize how, how powerful magic could be, giving emotions, and that's my thing today. I want to just exchange, communicate with people and have a good time. And that's my my thing. 
So when I saw that in 1998, I was 15, I said, yes, I want to do that. And the second click I had that year, the same convention, was Lisa Mena. And that's really important because I was able finally to identify myself to a woman and not a woman on stage, just doing that, you know, with the basing suit, uh, serving the, the magicians, the magician on stage. She was doing her own magic, um, quick change in close-up venue, um, card stab with her shoe. That was just mind-blowing too, because ah, I say at last I can see a woman in magic. Okay, so I can do it too then, you know? So I don't know if, if I wouldn't have seen Lisa, if it would have been the same story. I think I would have done magic, but it would have been harder for me just to say, I can also do it because, you know, I'm a girl in magic. No, it's great to have those role models. Yeah, absolutely. And now you are a role model. Uh, or, I mean, really, you are. It's uh, it, it. I think it's so cool that that sort of uh, separation, men do magic, women do not, is dissolving now. And we're talking and seeing uh, more women do magic. I thought what you did on uh, Penn and Teller uh, it was terrific. And that's one of your dad's tricks, right? Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. I have a little, we'll talk about it later if you'd like to, but yeah, I had a lot of pressure, but I loved it. And you know, you said there is not a lot of women in magic, but let's face it. Um, how many director, women director had an Oscar? Mm. One. Yeah. So it's in every field, the same. Yeah. No prime minister. We had our for, uh, last Prime Minister, one woman Prime Minister was in 1986, I think. Yeah. So come on. Right. Of course. It's yes. a, but, you know, it's changing everything. With the Me Too thing also, she, things are changing. It yeah. is. So give us a sense of, of, of what's a week like for you. What is your, how often are you at the theater? How often are you doing gigs? What kind of gigs do you do? Oh, okay. So it's very very different from a week to another, but let me give you an example. Um, for instance, today, Monday is uh, closed on Mondays, but on Mondays, I work for the shop. I just uh, speak with my team. Okay, what are we going to do advertisement on? Uh, what are we going to promote on networks? So we will speak about all of these things. Mm -hmm. I'm working on my own stuff too, because I need to have time to practice my new tricks and uh, so on, and creatively speaking too. And uh, uh, tomorrow we are on the 14th of uh, February, which is uh, the Saint Valentin, Valentine's Day for us. So I have a big show, it's packed, and I will do a show, private show for these people who has booked the double phone with some, uh, some tricks for lovers, obviously. Uh, also, you know, on the Thursday, well, no, Wednesday, Wednesday, sorry, I'm mixing my days. On Wednesday, I am coaching a lady in magic, and I am doing the magic part of her theater play. She's a magician, but she booked me so I can put magic, more magic, let's say, more magic into her play. So I'm coaching her on Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. And on Saturday, I have also a show. 
And on the Thursday, I go to the shop and I just uh, record some uh, clips for networks, for, this, for the site, for many things, just to offer explanation. Also at night, when it's calmer, I just uh, record stuff for our streaming, streaming, I'm sorry, streaming platform, Doublefond mm -hmm. TV, which is brand new, pretty new because we have done that during the very sad moment we all encounter the COVID pause, let's call it like this. During COVID pause, we were not able to just go out. So we were doing virtual shows, but also my dad and I, we have built a streaming platform and we have more than 30 artists contributing to this platform, like uh, Chad Long, like Michael Weber, soon, Max Maven, Paul Gertner, Gaëtan Bloom, my dad, of course, myself too, of course, Boris Wilde, David Stone, Christian and Bloom, and many, many others like that. And we, we need to shoot things because this platform, platform, I'm sorry, is, um, how do you say that? We put new stuff weekly. Mm -hmm. Wow. So each week we just put new stuff. So we have to shoot and to um, uh, edit it and to make, uh, you know, the, the, the advertising thing. So it, there are many things to do and to do the subtitles too. So it's pretty big work. So at night I mostly record things for this platform, which is like I told you, pretty new because it's the beginning of it. It's, we try to make it pretty complete, you see. Yes, but we will include a link to that in the show notes to this episode. But I have to say that that you are the embodiment of what a magician needs to be today. You are teaching, you're consulting, you're helping to run a magic store, you have a magic theater, you're doing your gigs, you're putting things online. You are you are in motion. Uh, and I yeah. think that's that's what uh, performers need to remember to do is not just wait for opportunities but you are actually making opportunities yeah that's that's right uh, you know i'm pretty lucky because i have a base of the the shop which is like i told you well situated so people pass by just by randomly and they are curious they go in the shop but also we have to promote for the professional magicians and keep on working because you know you know money doesn't come to us like this you know i just snap my fingers i am not a real magician sorry about that yeah um, so we have to work <laughs> on that and the same thing for the double fond the theater is i knock on wood but uh, uh, most of the time packed because we're also working for corporates and that's very important and also we have another branch of activity is the the, the school yes we the want school. to talk about the school absolutely that's, we want to talk yeah, about the and, and promote also ourselves as uh and also i didn't talk about one of the main thing i love doing also is taking care of my children because, you know, of course, I'm a magician. Of course, I'm an artist. That's great. And I love it. But I love being a mother, too. And I think that uh, being a magician shouldn't, uh, uh, tu dis? how would you say, I'm sorry, uh, avoid you from being a human being, mm -hmm. simply a human being. And of course, you know, and, and I love being with my children because, you know, I think everything is a, is a pretext is an excuse is an excuse for just taking the things back into my magic you know they just 
they talk to each other, they play to each other with each other. And I say, wow, that's great. I could do that with my, and you know, that's, as a magician, I think we have a real luck because everything can be inspiral. I don't know if it's the good word to use. No, it is. You, it is, yeah. Right. right. You, voilà. you can be inspired by anything or everything. And that's marvelous. I think I do a great job. I really uh, love it each day because you are touching to so many things. You know, in a, a few weeks, I'm going to do a speech in front of 500 people talking about magic, but talking about sharing secrets, but just talking, not sharing secrets for real. So I think that magic gives you the opportunities of um, challenging yourself, going always out of your comfort zone. Because of course you can be the magician of only children's show, why not? And I was that magician too when I began. So now I do magician show, I do children's show, I can do corporate events, I can do close-up things, I can do, uh, uh, Whatever, I'm not going to list it, but you see the point. Yes, well, you've, you've diversified. Why? And, and that's when you are, I think one, sometimes people ask me, okay, uh, as a magician, what is the best uh, quality you should have? And I say, you need to be curious. Mm -hmm. Because if you are not curious, nothing is possible. I mean, in your life, as well as in magic. Because if you are not curious of the latest new tricks or the new technologies or the new uh, the latest news on the TV and so on, your personality is going to be poor or at least poor. Right. And that's going to be reflected in your performance. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. The more the more yeah. things you have that inspire you, uh, the more you have to offer an audience, I would think. Yeah. It's like if you don't have any knowledge, I mean, knowledge uh, of a novel, of a scientific, or if you don't have anything to express or to say, don't go on stage. It's not worth it. Come on. If you need to tell stories, you need to, to, to say something, to share something. I think this is the, the more important thing. I love communicating with my audiences, but I love sharing with them. I, I wish that all magicians felt that same way. I wish all people felt that same way. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you know, when I started writing the Eli Mark series, I'm not a magician and I'm still not a magician. I can do one trick. Uh, Jim refers to himself as magic adjacent because he does shows that involve some magic, but he's not a full-time magician by any means. But I took lessons in order to learn what it was like to be a magician from uh, a magician named Suzanne here in the Twin yeah. Cities. You know, I got very, very lucky because uh, it was Suzanne. And she was really only teaching me the ambitious card, but she was also teaching me what it was like to be a working magician and give me a sense of her life. That's right. And I don't know a lot about your school. I want to talk about it more, but the sense I'm getting from what I know is that that's sort of your philosophy. Yes, we'll teach you how to do tricks, but we're going to teach you how to be a working magician in the real world. Correct. Completely. Where did the idea come from and how in the world did you get it accredited? Okay, so let me tell you the story. But first, Suzanne, you mean Suzanne, who is working at the Magic Castle? She works there a couple times a year, yes. Ah, I love Suzanne. She's great. She is one of our best friends. Yeah. Wow. So please say hello and tell her I really admire her work and uh, strength and career. That's great. Yes. Oh, you had a good teacher. Well, wasn't I lucky, though? 
That's great. That's who I started with. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. But you you started you started with your father. Good for you. You you, you got lucky as well. So did I with Suzanne. I don't complain. You know, I am the luckiest lady, of course. I know, I know, I know that. So about the school, the school, you know, was in fact just the continuity of a thought. My dad has always thought, believed that magic is an art. And he always think uh, that magic should be taught at school. You know, you have music lessons, you have painting lessons. So why won't we have some magic lessons also? Because magic... Uh, makes you work so many things at once, of course, expressing yourself, eye contacting yourself with the audience, taking care of an audience, taking care of yourself, not shaking, uh, uh, expressing and saying uh, clearly what you have in mind, creativity, because you have to write your text, your uh, what is your persona, what is your character, and so on. So it's a very complete uh, art. And my dad has always given lessons uh, since 1973. And when he opened the Double Fond in 1988, the school was there, but not recognized, of course. And um, we were still giving lessons throughout these years. And five years, uh, it was in uh, 2018, the first year of the diploma, Adeline Galland one of my best friends who I am working with, and she is the the builder of this diploma because she spent, and this is not a way of saying, of speaking, five years building, I can say build like you build a house, building Mm -hmm. the diploma. uh, And it was that high, voila, paperwork. That's high. For our listeners who can't see that, that was about a foot and a half of paper. Ah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. About a foot and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Big paperwork because we love paperwork in the, in the France. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's very serious. And now, after these five years of working hard on that, we are on the same level as dancing, music, theater, circus, and magic, too. So that's a beautiful and uh, come on, yeah. uh, an amazing recognition for the art of magic. And um, I was lucky enough to go to see Mr. David Copperfield in his museum uh, lately. And I spoke to him and I said, you know, uh, you should be the one doing that in the States because you are a superstar. Everybody knows you worldwide. So that's the best, you know, the best uh, proof, the best proof mm-hmm. that magic is an art that you can earn your living, that you can be a superstar. You know, that's great. So we talk about that. And he's working on it. Good. Yeah, so <laughs> just for our listeners uh, to understand this, it, it is, uh, it, it's almost like a, a degree, a college degree that you're I mean, we, I'm sorry. We, I was not very precise because my English gives me some difficulties. To your English is better than our English. Absolutely. Uh, no, no, I can no. listen to you all day. I, I so just no. whatever you say, I'm fine with. <laughs> but you're right. This is exactly that. It's a two years diploma, degree diploma, recognized by the Ministry of Labor. So this is huge for the art of magic. So we are very proud of it. And, you know, we are proud because, of course, we are the first in France to do it. But we are the first in the world to have done it. But we are proud 
but it's you know it's a small pride because what we want is just to be opening the door and many others will do this the, the past will do the same thing because we need to show that magic is serious is a job is an art and that's what we teach them during one year it's a one year uh, I don't know what one year thing a lesson let's say mm-hmm. uh, two days a week so this way if some people are working the rest of the week they can still have keep their job they don't have right. to quit their job and just do magic for one year which is completely insane so on Mondays and Tuesdays lessons are given by uh, seven different teachers which has their different uh, specialties and we teach them uh, close-up magic, card magic, magic for children, mentalism, and uh, I forget one. Parlor. Parlor, exactly. Parlor yeah, and parlor. stage magic. That's yeah. it. Alors, a bit stage, stage, but not uh, for 1,000 people, but stage. Mm-hmm. And not only we, we teach them a repertoire of those tricks, but also how to sell yourself how to have a website, a business card, what are the price of the market. Um, uh, you, you need to have a page of a website because now, nowadays, you know, social work networks are indispensable. You need to have work networks. So also we tell them and uh, to, that they should work on that too because nowadays magician can't be only a magician. He has to be a great um, communicant. He has to communicate on himself and said, you know, I can do that. I can do corporate. I can uh, use uh, your brand to just uh, promote it and so on and so on. So we need to be, to have different hats. And um, that's it. Well, that's you, you, you prove that in your day-to-day work, the number of hats <laughs> that you wear yeah. to, to be the right. professional magician you yeah, are. But, uh, yeah, but I think that not everybody wants to be, to have many hats. Right. Maybe they are going to spend their career on cruise, doing children show workshops, and that's it. And that's very good too. You are not obliged of being, you know, uh, multitasking and doing many things at once. This is my way of seeing the the, the craft. But everybody's different. Uh, but at least if they come and to our school, they can just go out and uh, and practice and being you know it that's great to have this diploma i'm sorry <clears throat> this is great to have this diploma because when uh, you know employee um, uh, ceo are looking for you know on the computer okay on the net who am i going to book hmm? who is he ah he has a diploma a degree so that's fine let's book it because it's a it's a gage uh, it's a proof of quality voilà. yep. Sorry, I'm trying to translate. No, you got it. That was right on the money. How, yeah. how do you how do you get to be a student at this uh, uh, University of Magic? You call us. You just email us. You say, you know, alors, when it's a foreigner, it's more difficult, but we do it virtually. But we, you can't learn virtually to be a magician. So you have to be on the set. You know, we have many people who are not living in Paris and they just travel two days a week. So that's the rest of the week they can go back. So it's it's working pretty well and it's doing well. So so what is their requirement to graduate? Do they have to do a final show of some kind? Well, alors, that's a good question. They are all year long. They are working on the repertoire and history of magic and learning uh, different um, vocabulary on the 
what is this, what's the mic, uh, what's uh, a lapel, and so on and so on. So right. the, the, All the technical uh, things. Well, technical things in English, it's more difficult for me, but in French, it's okay. Um, and so all year long, we are teaching them the repertoire and so on. And in the end, they have to show in front of a three-member jury, 15, well, there, are, there is a list of 15 tricks, three tricks by category, three tricks in children, three tricks and so on, okay? And the jury at the beginning of the day say, okay, which one are we going to choose? This one. And this one, and this one, this one, they prepare upstairs, jury is downstairs, and after they show their five tricks in front of the jury, and jury notes. You have to mention, I have to mention that the jury is external from the seven teachers from all year long. And most of the time, they are professional magicians in activities such as, you know, last year it was David Stone, the jury, Boris Wilde, jury, so high professional, yeah. and Jérôme Solou. So it's quality magicians. It's not, you know, uh, old guys that we just take out from the closet and say, hey, come on. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's serious. And if those three juries consider that that guy or this lady uh, is worth it, they just note because there is a sheets of paper they have to fill in. <laughs> right. and, um, and after they have the diploma or not, depends. Mm. So just, I want to make sure I understand this because it seems really clever. It they is. know the as a student, I know that there are 15 possible tricks I'm going to be asked to do. What? But I don't know until the day ah, which non. five it'll be. Ah, bah non. Otherwise, it's too easy. Yes. So I've got to be prepared. Wait. Wow. Exactly. Okay. I'm, I'm yeah, nervous right. already, and I'm not even taking the class. I'm doing the same math, John. Thinking, <laughs> wow, 15? That's a lot. No, uh, it's, that's, really cool. it's not that, that much, because it's only three tricks in each category. Right. It's very fair. It's very yeah, smart. I, I'm not arguing. I'm just saying that. That's, that's, <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of magic to to have under your belt when and be ready to be called on. Do this. Yeah, one. okay. You're right. You know, let's face it. It's a 550 hours uh, in one year that we taught them. Okay, mm -hmm. but they have to give also from their own uh, time to thousand to three thousand hours of your their own practice because being an artist come on let's face it you can't be an artist like this because i teach you 15 tricks you are an artist it's not working like that mm -hmm. you know when they begin the school so school begins in september from september to april we just learn tricks learn techniques learn tricks and techniques learn tricks and techniques doing the history of magic of course well, that's very important too the, the 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 vocabulary and so on but from april to june we are only coaching coaching means uh okay do your trick okay no i can't hear you you don't speak loud enough okay do it again mm -hmm. no your double leaf was sucked do it again okay uh no what you need to look at me and look at all the audience and so on and so on so we are just trying to make them look like artists and being artists becoming artists so that's the the work on a few months only on that for the last month God. How, how lucky they are to have that yeah very exciting and now you've done all the groundwork so you you could franchise it <laughs> Wait, but this is not the spirit of it really no, I, not my enough. dad my dad is 
somebody uh, endlessly passionate by magic. And if he, he wanted to do that uh, degree, was not to franchise anything, right. was just to show, see, my job is serious because the, there is a degree. Yeah. So what do you say about that? That's exactly that. So this is just um, only the passion who spoke. I, I, I would love, though, if there was... There were more of these. Uh, so there's a French school. There'd be, it'd be great if there was one in London. It'd be great if there was oh. one here in New York. Of kind of like uh, 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 Hogwarts. And, uh, you know, <laughs> everybody's got a different style and a different. It, it would be really cool if this uh, if this caught on and people could get a degree. Uh, for instance, you know, for instance, uh, what Jeff McBride with his mystery school is doing mm -hmm. is just great. Because it's not not only about tricks, it's about becoming an artist. Yeah. So yeah, of course, that's great. Um, I I I got to see you, like I said, I've been at your theater twice and got to see you perform once. But a lot of our listeners may not have been familiar with your style until they saw you on Fool Us, which was a remarkable performance of of your Thank father's you. trick. Uh, Thank just, you. Can you give us a little idea of how that came about and and how you came up with the premise of since you already did the trick backstage, you didn't need to take up the time on stage? How clever was that? So I think it was, uh, I don't remember, but I think it was in 2018. Um, my dad has created that trick I've done on Fulos in, no, I don't know the specific year, but it was 40 years ago. Wow. And I saw my dad performing that trick many, many, many times in front of great magicians, friends, and they were fooled. And I love that trick. Okay. Super. And, um, but that's, that's all. And two months before shooting the, the Penn and Teller thing, he said, okay, you should do it. I said, what? I've never done that trick ever my, in my entire life. <laughs> can't do it in two months because he wanted to sell the trick because he mm -hmm. said okay this is the moment it's in the air i would like to release it now okay sure but do it yourself and he said to me you know i think people will more um, identify to you than to me because you know i am older now and you know it's better if you do it and you're a woman you, you're full of energy do it <sighs> That was not my plan at all. You know, that trick, I've never done it. So I had two months to learn the trick, be entertaining in English. And um, that was it. So a lot of pressure because when I was on the set shooting, I had Penn and Teller in front of me and those two guys, I knew them. I mean, I, did, I don't know them personally at all. I knew them from, if you listen back to what I said earlier, my dad showed me all the greatest artists on stage, mm -hmm. including Penn and Teller. So I was just astounding by, by their duo, by their creativity. Uh, they were crazy, crazy good. So having them just here was very difficult to manage inside. Yeah, <laughs> I had to look very happy and very comfortable, but I was so stressed. But it was, <laughs> you wouldn't it was know it, but you know what? You would not uh, ever 
you were so charming and so <laughs> fluid and so uh, absolutely right on the money. You would not know. Uh, that's that's the there's the definition of an artist for me is that you've got that going on inside and yet you can turn in a performance in front of Penn and Teller th yeah. that was as great and that fooled them. Oh, yeah. I was lucky enough to yes. fool, But, you know, I had a lot of on my shoulder shoulder because uh, it was my dad's trick. He was performing for 40 years. I had to be um, uh, entertaining in English in front of those two giants in magic. So it was a lot of to manage. But I was so thrilled, overwhelmed by joy because it was a, just a marvelous experience. And the, the words are weak, like I say it. I prefer to say it in French. C'est l'expérience d'une vie, ça a été formidable. So for the French speaker, you understand for the rest, take your dictionary. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, of course, it was an experience of a lifetime. It was just, wow, so much emotion, so much. I gave a lot to that trick, but they gave me so much. Mm -hmm. So uh, now seeing, I don't look at it, but uh, when people talk to me about it, I am proud of it. But it was at the moment I was, wow, I, I, mustn't there is it's not an option i mustn't fail i have to succeed in doing that trick and okay let's try it what a Oof. gift for your father to see you do that after you know talking to you as a 15 or 18 year old young woman and saying do you want to do magic and there you are it's several years later taking his classic 40 year old trick and yeah, bringing it to a new audience and and You're just right. showing the world what it was that he invented, yeah. which is, an, and I will again refer our listener to the link. Uh, it's an astounding trick to the point where if you watch Teller watching it, he sort of gives up where he just, because a lot of times you can see him taking notes and doing things like, yeah, nope, yeah. he he has no idea. <laughs> oh, you know, I can tell you a very funny after, after it, but on the, the moment, it was not funny because, you know, I didn't know what to say. When you go to Penn & Teller uh, thing, you just don't see Penn & Teller before. Of course, I've never met them before. But I meet my close, of course, and um, the late Johnny Thompson. Yeah. And they ask me, okay, super. Welcome, Alexandra. Show me your trick. I show the trick. I do the trick. More or less like uh, I done it to Penn & Teller. Okay, they say, okay, uh, explain you, can you explain the trick? I don't know the abilities, I don't know what's doing, what's normally what's happening. So I say, okay, I explain. And I explain the trick, how it's working. And I just said this and that, and you do this and that. And uh, my clothes and Johnny just told me, okay, I didn't understand. Explain me again. Okay. I explain it again. I try to do better. I say, ah, my English sucks. They don't understand what that I'm telling you. <laughs> so I just try to say better. And I say, okay, I don't understand, but that's fine. Okay, let's move on. We can, you can do that. What kind of table do you need? And then just move on. So that's a, a great trick. I think it, uh, which is on top of what? This trick is not a trick. It's a principle that you can use in many things. So that's the beauty of it. So if you are a magician, if you like cards, you should, don't buy it, but have a look to it because it's really cool because it can allow you to do many other stuff than the trick I've done and fool us with the five thing prediction. 
I, I suspect that one of us, and it isn't me, will probably be going online and buying this trick. I think you, I think you could be right. Yeah. And you could just go right to your magic store online and buy this trick. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That's great. Did, um, did uh, Penn and Teller uh, ask you afterwards how it was done? Alors, to tell you the whole story, I, <laughs> in fact, the day, the day we shoot, I did the trick to Penn and Teller. And afterwards, they are talking to me. And I look at them, I try to understand what they're saying, and I don't understand a word because if he speaks fast and I am so full of, uh, of stress and I'm so happy to have succeeded my trick, that I didn't understand a word of what he said. So Terra comes to me and he showed me, you know, he drew some sketches on his notebook and he showed me. And, uh, and you know, uh, I know that... Uh, it's the condition of a live. It's not, okay, just stop and we pause and we do it again. It's live condition. So I see uh, Taylor sketches and I say, yeah, that's it. But I know watching his sketches that this is not correct. But I say, yes, you, you, you find it. You, you, you find the, how it's working. Okay. So, and the, the lady say, okay, you have not fooled, but it was great having you and go. And I am going, I'm vanishing. And half an hour later, they just, we call Alexandra back and please come back. Alexandra is required on the set. Okay, why not? I come back. And uh, Ben is talking to me and he says, you know. After we talked back and forth, we looked at each other and it dawned on us that we had one question to ask you and one question only. After all this time you've been waiting, how do you say you fooled us in French? Oh, right. Because in fact, I think that Mike Close and Johnny Thompson told them here that they were not right and that they didn't get they didn't get right. how it were how it was working. That what he drew on his sketches was not right. Yeah. And after backstage, when I saw Taylor, he told me. You know, even us make mistakes, make mistakes, and that was just so beautiful and so honest and fair. That you know, so voila, you have your answer. You know, we've talked to other people who had to go back uh, and and do the ending part again because of that very thing where yeah. Johnny and Mike talked and sure. and didn't fully understand what Penn or Teller were trying to say and realized that they didn't get it. And yeah. Penn and Teller have always insisted in that case, we reshoot and we tell the truth. Exactly. Um, That's why this TV special is so cool. So good also for the art of magic, because if you look at it, it's the eighth seasons. I think this is great because it shows magician. It shows that you have complete uh, art, com uh, oui, complete artists that are very known or not well known and we don't care about that, but you see some really good magic and they are not exposing anything. So that's great also for the art and for showing magic on TV. Yeah, it is great because it, uh, it, it, makes, it makes, when you see good magic, and that's all really you see on Penn and Teller, whether the magician fools Penn and Teller or not, the magic is terrific. And exactly. once you see it as a as an audience member, you go, I I'd like to see more of that. Where would I go to 
to enjoy this live. Exactly. Yeah, and I, it's, it's just so great. Exactly. It's a virtuous circle. It lifts you up and not drives you down. So right. that's, you know, I've always said that I am so grateful to Penn and Terror for booking me because, you know, thanks to them, they just, uh, people, oh, remember that Alexandra Duvivier still exists or, oh, I can maybe book her or, wow, she was not that bad, so maybe I can have her. <laughs> so, you know, it's an exposure. So that's great. That's right. great. I'm that so thankful. I've got one more official question for you. Um, and you have non-official questions. I, <laughs> I do have unofficial questions after that, but the official one is this. Because you are a multitasker when it comes to your career in that you're online and you're on stage in the magic shop and you, 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 you see all facets of it with the yeah. school as well. What advice would you give to someone who's thinking about setting out in a career in magic today? That's a very good and very difficult question to answer. I think one advice, I, I will speak, of course, of my own experience. <laughs> if you are going, uh, jumping into the art of magic, you should have a team to rely on. Because let's face it too, you can't take care of everything yourself. Or you can, but you will do very few things. So you have to have close friends or people you know that are trustful because I am working with a kind of, it's my family, you know. So you go much faster and much further when you are surrounded with a caring team. You know, that's an interesting concept, the concept of the team, because that has come up several times. Uh, in the last couple of seasons, the idea that most magicians work in this kind of solo environment and that you, you're just going to get better if you're part of a team, if, if you have a director, if you have a, a mentor, if if you're working with someone who's creating your graphics, if you if you have that whole team, it just takes the weight off of you and allows you to be a, a better, smarter magician. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. of course, agree with all of that, 150 percent that you are. Uh, if if I can spend all of my time worrying about the things that I need to worry about as an actor or as a you know closet magician, and there are other people worrying about the lights and the sound and the stage and how I look in terms of what I'm wearing and or um, you know is does this play the way I think it plays? It certainly plays that way in my mind, but does it play that way to an audience? And the only way to do that is with a, a team or at least another person who can. Uh, provide some of that uh, expertise for you. And so I, I 100% agree. I think my favorite part of the whole story is uh, is her being called back over a loudspeaker to reshoot the ending to fool yeah. us, which yeah. doesn't it just make you love Penn and Teller that much more? You know, we've heard this a couple times already from people saying uh, they admitted they were wrong and they redid it. And, and, and they don't have to. You know what I mean? They it, That's the part about it is like you would be tempted. I would be tempted if I was them to just go, oh, screw it. What difference does it make? It's fine. She's got a nice piece of video she can use wherever mm -hmm. she wants. It's Forget it. Why do we want to, you know? So it just makes me love them that much more that they're willing to say, no, get her back here. We got to, this is not right. It's, it, that just is so cool to me. And it's, it's not as simple as just saying, get her back here, because you've got an entire TV crew and production staff 
that is trying to hit a schedule to get all your performers done. And now you've got to stop what you're doing and redo something that you already did. And you have to redo it in a way that will seamlessly edit into what you've already got, which uh, in every instance when they've said, uh, I had to go back and redo it. When you look at it, you can't tell that that's a half hour later, an hour later. It's it just um it to me is they may be the bad boys of magic, but I think a case could be made that they are also the gentlemen of magic because it, I've never seen you know you watch some of those shows the America's Got Talent or whatever and and the judges can be brutal and caustic and you know cutting and mean and I, I've never seen Penn who can be bombastic mm-hmm. i've never seen him be anything more uh, than kind and cordial and even if he's you know even if they figured it out he's still very complimentary and nice yep. and there's there's never a sense that we're you know we're going to punish you because you, you there's just never that and so then to know that it goes one level further not only are they nice to the performers but if they get something wrong like oh we thought we got it we didn't get it get them back here. We're going to give them the trophy and yeah. reshoot that in. That just makes me love them all the more. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad she told that story. She was so much fun to talk to. We're lucky to be done with that because I had to talk to her. I, I'd still be talking to her. I know. Well, the time difference helped that she had to go because she was six or seven hours ahead of us. I love when she said, uh, if you don't have something to say, don't go on stage. <laughs> Boy, so simple to live by, I, and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna have business cards printed that say that very thing. Yeah, and and she is the French Eli Marx. She was raised in a in a magic shop by a world class magician. It's, if you're in Paris, go see that. If you live anywhere around there, sign up and get yourself a magic degree. It's um, can you do you have any sense, John, on whether or not even if you don't live there, you could do it like you know, correspondence course or, cause I know there was a correspondence course, uh, uh, the Chavez course here. Right. That could... I, I believe she said they can't do it virtually, but on the flip side of that, on her site, they have a lot of videos and they produce more and more every week uh, are that are educational in nature. So you can certainly learn a lot by going to their site, but I think she said you have to be here because it's really hands-on. And then you've got yeah, to no. do that, that, and that final testing day, which was so smart to just say, you've got to be able to do stuff out of this bucket of 15 things. Prepare all of it, we'll pick. Yeah, that was really, really smart. So we got to have her back at some point. She was Absolutely. So much fun. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and you, you want to talk about the short story a little bit here? Well, we, we should, because this is yet? this is sort of a repeat. Um, and the reason it's, it's the last customer, which is a story that takes place entirely within the magic shop, which seemed appropriate for Alexandra's episode because she grew up in a magic shop. Yes, you have heard this before, gentle listener, if you've been listening all three seasons. Uh, it's existed in a lot of forms, this story. It started as a short story that was written as part of an anthology called Blood Work, which was done in honor of the, of the late owner of the Once Upon a Crime bookstore here in Minneapolis. So then, Jim, you did the audiobook version, uh, and that's that. turned up in several places. I think they even ran in Genie Magazine and their digital This is version. the one that ran in Genie, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So you, if you had Genie, you can go listen to it there. But why would you? Because it's here. Um, I right. then edited the story down and worked with an illustrator to turn it into a comic book, 
Uh, and if you go to the show notes, there's a link there. You can download that comic book for free. Um, and then we took that artwork and with my pal Chip Barber and your original narration, added some sound effects and Chip's music and turned it into an animatic, which is just like an animated thing, except it isn't full animation. It's still images that we're doing moves on. Oh, I see. Okay. Then I went back to the original audio, which was uh, unedited. So it was the full story. And I dropped all the music and sound effects in and added some more sound effects. So what we're hearing today if you're still with us, I would have left a long time ago, but I appreciate your patience, is sort of, it's like pretty close to the original length of the original audiobook story, but it is a radio play with sound effects. I love it. I love yeah. it. I love it. I love it. Later this season, we'll have another story done in that same uh, style. But for now, let's just sit back and listen to The Last Customer. Albert's Bridge Books presents The Last Customer, an Eli Marks short mystery. Written by John Gaspard, read by Jim Cunningham, music by Chip Barber. I thought he was going to be my last customer, which was a bit ironic because after a long day in the shop, he was also my first customer. Such is the sad life of a brick and mortar magic shop in this day of online browsing and shopping. At the moment, though, I was in a bit of a fog trying to decide if the customer's shaggy hair would best be described as dishwater blonde or sandy brown. In the midst of what I'm guessing you would call a transaction, the bell over the shop's entrance tinkled. The last customer and I looked at the door as it swung open, and for a moment I thought it might have just been the wind, as no one was immediately visible in the doorway. Then I glanced down and saw a kid. He might have been seven or eight or nine or ten. I really have no concept of the standard height to age ratio with kids these days, but he looked young. We're closed. The sign in the window says open, the kid said, glancing around the shop, a little wide-eyed at all the magic tricks, posters, and miscellaneous that gave Chicago magic its old world charm. At least, that's what I chose to think. He also might have been looking at all the clutter and dust. I haven't gotten around to flipping the sign, I said, glancing at the customer to see if this interruption was having any sort of impact on his mood. He seemed as stunned at the kid's moxie as I was. Well, then, you're open. This won't take long anyway. I need your help, and I need it pronto. I exchanged a look with the customer. He nodded a quick assent. Okay, what's the problem? The kid took a deep breath. I need to make a tuba disappear, like now. I like to think I've heard my share of odd requests in the 20-plus years I've either helped at the magic shop or run it on my own, but this was a new one. Deep down, I knew this moment was not an ideal one for tackling new questions, but I took the kid at his word that this would be a speedy exchange. Just how do you mean disappear? Like this he said, pulling out his iPhone. He had a video from YouTube preloaded, and he held it up for me to see. The customer leaned in as well. I recognized the video immediately. It was David Copperfield, the magician, not the Dickens character, pulling off one of his most talked-about illusions, making the Statue of Liberty disappear. The pacing of the performance was a whole lot slower than I remembered, but for the television audience and the small audience watching it live on site, 
it was still an impressive feat. That's a pretty big effect. The tuba's a pretty big instrument. Fair point, but before we get into the how, maybe it would be best to go over the why. Tomorrow is a talent show at school. Everybody is required to perform in some way. My mom says I have to play the tuba because of all the money she's been shelling out for lessons. Then why don't you just play the tuba? Are you kidding? A tuba? I'll be laughed off the stage. He sort of has a point. This was from the customer, who up until now had been watching this exchange quietly, and I hoped patiently. So instead, I want to come out with the tuba and then make it disappear right before their eyes, as if by magic. Okay, that's a fair premise. How much experience do you have doing magic? None, I guess. But it's only one trick. I figured I could just buy something here to make it happen. Nothing too complicated or expensive, and nothing too big. I'm already hauling around a tuba. Simple to do, not too expensive, and easy to carry around. This request was a common one, and sadly, not from just neophyte magicians. I was happy, not for the first time today, that my Uncle Harry was not manning the shop. It was just this sort of request that would have sent him into an apoplectic fit. Well, a vanish like that requires a lot of control on the part of the magician. You need to manage the audience sight lines, the lighting, the backdrop, in some cases, the construction of the stage itself. Are you likely to have control of any of those factors? I assumed these requirements would sound the death knell for his idea, but amazingly, he actually thought it over for several long moments. Finally, he shook his head. No. All we get to do is walk out there and perform. Well, making the tuba disappear seems to be off the table then. Wait, but that doesn't mean we still can't do something magical. It's just a matter of figuring out what that something might be. Having faced variations on this question my entire working life, I did what I always did. I crossed the store to a large floor-to-ceiling bookcase that lined one wall of the shop. The answer we need is somewhere in here. The kid followed me while the customer stayed at the cash register, his hands still shoved deep into the pockets of his worn and faded army jacket. From this new vantage point, I decided that his hair color was definitely sandy brown. He stared at me blankly, so I quickly turned back to the task at hand. The kid stood next to me while I scanned the spines of the books. He looked up at a sign positioned at the top of the bookcase. What does 793.8 mean? I glanced up at the placard. It had been there for so many years I had stopped seeing it, which was odd given that I had been the one to print it and post it. Well, my Uncle Harry has had this habit for years of lending books from the store to magicians rather than selling them outright. In his view, if they don't like the book, they will bring the book back. If they do like the book, they will come back and pay for it. The kid looked up at me doubtfully. How's that working out for him? About how you'd expect, which is to say, not well. And since I felt he was turning this into a lending library, I put up that sign, 793.8, 
is the Dewey Decimal listing for magic books in libraries. A library is a building where you can borrow books. I know what a library is. I'm just surprised that any of them are still using the outmoded Dewey system instead of the far better Library of Congress classification method. You hear the word precocious much? Now and again, I'm not surprised. I think what we need is something that makes the tuba the cause rather than the effect, so that there's a reason for the tuba. Otherwise, it just seems like an unnecessary prop. This is what we need. Harry's Magic Emporium. I opened the book and began to page through it quickly. What's it called? The voice surprised me. I turned to see the customer was peering at us from across the room. He had moved away from his position, leaning on the counter, and it started to move across the shop. Um, it's Harry's Magic Emporium. My Uncle Harry wrote it. I remember that book. I had it when I was a kid. In addition to the tricks, there were a lot of dumb jokes in it, right? Yes, tons of them. No one loves a bad joke more than my uncle. But thankfully, no one loves a great trick more than he does either. Now, I seem to remember that he organized the book around the 13 different types of magic, the list he used to argue with Harry Blackstone Jr. about all the time. There've got to be more than 13 magic tricks. There are hundreds more, but they can all be classified into one of 13 categories. You know, production, vanish, restoration, animation, penetration, transposition. Just like any time I tried to name all the seven dwarfs, I started strong and then petered out about halfway through the list. You, you get the idea. The room was quiet for a few moments, the only sound being paper on paper as I scanned rapidly through the book. Do you serve crabs here? The question came from the customer, and I froze in mid-page turn. I looked over my shoulder at him. Excuse me? The patron says, do you serve crabs here? And the maitre d' says, we serve everyone, sir. Let me get you a seat. I thought it was funny long before I understood what it meant. I nodded in agreement. I had that same reaction to a lot of Harry's jokes. They were like little joke time bombs set to go off at a later unknown date. Like, why is six afraid of seven? I looked from the customer to the kid. The kid had no response, but the customer thought for a moment and then laughed. <laughs> because seven, eight, nine. This is great. Big laughs. But can we focus on my disappearing tuba? Right. I think our best bet would be to use the tuba as a production tool of some kind, sort of like a magician's top hat. Do you have a stand for the tuba? Of course I do. Things as big as I am. I got the sense that, to his young mind, I was the stupidest person he had ever met. That will help. Do you only have one copy of the book? This was asked by the customer who had moved again and was now standing silently behind me. I successfully squelched a yelp. Nope. Harry has a ton of them, reaching up and pulling another copy off the shelf. I handed it to the customer, who took his hands out of his pocket for the first time as he grasped the book and began to page through it. What if we did this? What if you came out and started to play but only got some odd sounds out of the tuba? Like, you know, something was stuck in the horn. 
the bell. What? It's called the bell. The whole thing is the horn. The part you can reach into is called the bell. The bell, whatever. What if that were the premise? You keep trying to play something with the tuba, and you get horrible sounds out of it, and you keep pulling different odd things out of the horn. The bell. The kid smiled and nodded. Sure, that would be fun. But there's limited space in the bell. I mean, not as much as you might think. Not a problem. We have ways around that. Go to the index and look up servant. What's a servant? It's a secret way to make things appear and disappear, I said. Magicians use them all the time. Cool. I began to search through the store, not knowing entirely what I was looking for. I knew this much. I was looking for impactful tricks designed to pack small and play big, a thing some magicians spend their entire lives searching for. I saw a black and white cane that would do the trick, pulled it off the shelf, and then reached for a compact bouquet of roses. Here's one you'll like, the customer said suddenly. I spun around, but he had his face buried in the book. What musical instrument is found in the bathroom? He must have seen that I was busy looking for props, so he turned to the kid and repeated the question, barely able to contain his amusement. What musical instrument is found in the bathroom? The kid shrugged. I don't know. The customer laughed as he gave the answer, sort of killing the joke while completing it. A tube of toothpaste. Get it? A tube of toothpaste. <laughs> you should use that one. Sure thing. I'll get right on it. I cut into the conversation, laying out items on a nearby counter. I don't know the sequence yet, but these are all things you can hide in the horn, sorry, in the bell or in a servant we put behind it. It took a few minutes, but between the kid and me, we structured a short but funny act that involved him pulling an impossible number of items out of the tuba but still getting poor results every time he blew into the horn. While we worked, the customer leaned against the bookcase, paging through the book in his hands. Every few moments, he would let out a small giggle or a yelp of recognition at a rediscovered magic trick or a long-forgotten joke. Now, we just need a closer, a final topper. The kid and I stared at the props, silently willing them to provide the answer we were looking for. The thick silence was broken by the customer. What about, what do you call it, one of those things? Holding the book in one hand and gesturing toward his mouth with the other. He began to mime, yanking at his mouth, pulling us both into an impromptu game of charades. Taffy, eat his spaghetti, wax lips. He shook his head and then quickly flipped through Harry's book, finally finding the illustration he was looking for. A young man pulling a seemingly endless paper streamer out of his mouth. A mouth coil! A streamer mouth coil! I moved behind the counter, trying to remember where we kept them and hoping we hadn't run out. That will be great! I'll let the audience know that the bell is finally empty, then blow into the tuba one last time. I'll still get a horrible sound, and then I'll start pulling the streamer out of my mouth. That will kill. Thanks. He looked over at the customer, who was still paging through the book as he walked away from us. The customer looked up, 
realizing that the compliment had been directed at him. No problem, then he looked at me. If it's okay, I'll take this book. I had one as a kid. Loved it. Really loved it. Is that all you need? He smiled down at the book. Yeah, this will do. But I forgot my wallet. That's okay. Remember? This is Harry's lending library. Great. Thanks a lot. I breathed a deep sigh, but my reverie was short-lived. Boy, this looks like a lot of stuff. I don't think I can afford all these props. Not to worry. On occasion, the lending library concept also extends to magic props. And this is one of those occasions. Really? He clearly couldn't believe his good luck. For my part, neither could I. Really? Come back after the show and let me know how it went. And return the props. Yes. I saw him out the door and turned to head back to the register where the small bag the last customer had brought still sat by the open cash drawer. I flashed back to that moment. Was it only 10 minutes ago? When he had first thrust it at me, demanding the contents of the cash drawer, poking what he said was a gun from the pocket of his worn army jacket. Most of the contents of the cash drawer were already in the bag as he had demanded. I was about to put all the money back into the cash register when a thought occurred to me. I stepped back to the shop's front door and locked it, turning the deadbolt as well for good measure. I also had the presence of mind to do the one thing I wished I had done 30 minutes earlier, before that first or last customer walked through my door. I flipped the sign in the front window with such force that I nearly pulled it off its string hanger from open to closed. Because right now, I was many, many things, but open for business was not one of them. You've been listening to The Last Customer, an Eli Marks short mystery. Written by John Gaspard. Read by Jim Cunningham. Music by Chip Barber. Thanks for listening. I think Chip did an amazing job on that music. I kind of just described to him in an email. Here's what I'm kind of thinking. Uh, and here's the theme that we use for the audiobooks. But I want it to be more fun. And uh, that's what he came up with. And uh, Chip Barber, I'll put a link to his site in the show notes as well. He is a composer who uh, writes really cinematic music, really, really cinematic music. Um, and he'll be back later this season with uh, a radio play version of the short story, Magician in Trouble. But that's not till later this season. However, next episode, if you thought today was fascinating, and you're right, it was, next time we're, we're going taking a left turn, we're going to be talking with Dr. Reed Quinton. Get this, folks. He's a medical examiner at the Mayo Clinic. Perhaps you've heard of it. And he's a magician. Yeah, he's a pretty good magician, too. Yeah, but primarily the man is a medical examiner for the Mayo Clinic. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yes. So we're going to talk to him about how he got into magic. We're going to talk about what writers like myself get right and wrong 
about uh, when we portray medical examiners in our stories and where the common cliches are. He's just a fun, fascinating guy. He really is. And it was a a delight to chat with him. And I know you're going to enjoy it. So don't miss the next episode. And if you haven't subscribed yet, ask yourself this question. Is it worth risking missing an episode of Behind the Page? Subscribe. Just click the little thing and subscribe. And if you have an extra minute, leave us a review because that really does help people find us. And if you're having a good time, other people might as well. Yeah. Thank you for that, Jim. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back next episode when we'll be talking to uh, Reed Quinton and listening to the short story, The 38 Steps. Take care, everybody. This has been Behind the Page, the Eli Marks podcast with your hosts, John Gaspard and Jim Cunningham, produced by Albert's Bridge Books at Grass Lake Studios. Find this podcast and all the books in the Eli Marks series at elimarksmysteries.com. That's E-L-I-M-A-R-K-S, mysteries.com. And thanks for listening. Thank you.